I am Madison Timmons. I'm Chris Susie. And we're paranormal specialists who live in the most haunted city on earth, Savannah, Georgia. Every day is Halloween in our line of work, so join us as we spin true tales of haunts, murders, and disturbing Savannah history. I'm Madison. I'm Chris. And, and welcome, welcome to, to the most haunted city on earth. Hey, ghosts and ghouls. First, I want to say thank you so much for listening to this podcast and supporting us. We are so grateful for such a wonderful fan base. If you do want to support us further, we have enabled listener support on Spotify. So you can find that link at the end of our bio. Again, I want to say thank you guys and stay spooky, y'all. Enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Most Haunted City on Earth. My name is Madison Timmons. And I'm Chris Susie. And we have a very special guest today because it is my husband, JT Timmons. Woot woot. Hello. Woot woot. <laughs> yes, he is, uh, you know, had the lovely chance of living with somebody who can see spirits. So he's had a few experiences. Uh, one in particular we're going to talk about today was a very powerful entity at the Davenport House. He's also going to talk about his feature film, and we're going to have lots of fun ghosty chatting. So let's go oh, ahead yeah. and dive into it. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this story because it's actually a really meaningful story to me because it's the story, the happening that made me believe in ghosts. JT, would you like to plug anything today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we actually all here uh, just released um, a feature film, our first feature film uh, that we all did together. It's very, very exciting. Um, And it's called Final Hours of a Suffering Artist. And you can find it now, if you want to watch it now, on Plex, P-L-E-X. It is free with ads, I think. Um, And then it also was picked up by Amazon. So that's, like, pretty exciting, too. Uh, And so you can find it on Amazon probably in the next couple weeks. Um, You know, we're still getting, uh, we're still doing some stuff with deliverables and all of that um but very very exciting and then also uh where we're filming right now is the savannah underground and um that is an immersive horror theater if you don't know about it go on our website um and it's really really cool like nothing you've ever done before so yep and the savannah underground is full of very true historic events that have occurred in savannah so if you are interested in doing that we do have links in our bio on tiktok and on instagram you can find us at the savannah underground oh yeah so um let's go ahead and start off with talking a little bit about the davenport house um we're going to do a whole TikTok on this. For those of you who are not watching the video portion of this podcast, you will be able to see all of the photos that we're talking about in that. Also, so the Davenport House was kind of built in the early 1800s. It was built by Isaiah Davenport. He was a very well-known architect in town, and this house was kind of meant to be his architectural uh, genius, if you will. He really wanted to display all of his talents. So when you go into the house, it's a little less functional than most Victorian homes. But nonetheless, they actually didn't live in it for very long because when Isaiah died, his wife Sarah ended up selling it to the Baynard family who live in South Carolina. So they ended up kind of using it as a vacation home of sorts. And then it's just kind of progressed into being lots of different things over time. It was a tenement home at one time. There was like 13 families living in the house. It has been a, uh, a boarding house. It eventually kind of fell derelict, and the historic Savannah Foundation ended up buying it, saving it in the 1950s, and turned it into the wonderful home we're now seeing to this hey very babe, day. Hey, babe, do you know anything about the Davenport House? It's like I used to work in it sometimes, right? God. I know. But anyways, the um, but that's the background of the house. So yeah. you can imagine there's kind of like a lot of residual energy still inside of that house from so many things coming and going. Uh, the very interesting part about 
the home, though, is that there is a Haint Blue attic. So Haint Blue used to be uh, kind of used as a way to ward off evil spirits. It is like a light blue color that most people would paint on the tops of their porches or on their shutters or things like that to keep the spirits out. But when you paint it on the top of your attic, all it really does is just keep them in, making it really good for ghost hunting. So with that being said, JT, would you like to kind of explain the story? Yeah, first. First, I would like to uh, ask Chris, do you think that this, the Davenport house, is the most haunted house in Savannah? No, <laughs> but I do believe that it is uh, a, an amazing conjunction point of so many different things. Okay. What you're really looking at is because the Davenport House is also the location of the old Savannah Gates in order to get into Savannah or how they separated sort of the undesirables of Savannah from the Savannah proper. It was also where many people claim that uh, they would display hanged bodies to warn people, you know, pirates beware and things of that nature. Uh, So there's a lot of stories that kind of just congregate there. And about, gosh, I want to say maybe 15, 20 years ago, they started doing reenactments of the yellow fever epidemic. And for anybody who does ghost hunting, there's a thing that oftentimes people will do is, is bring error cues. They will bring something that uh, will remind a spirit of the life that they led. Uh, and in the Davenport house, they were reenacting how people died, how people suffered, and wow. suffered hard. And this is, in my estimation, one of the reasons why the Davenport house is so very active uh, is because it, it became almost like a lightning rod for any spirit in the in the area that may have suffered that kind of death. So we're not just talking about the the ghosts of the Davenport house. We're talking about just a, a, a gateway for any ghost or any spirit entity that was in the area that may have suffered the way that they were reenacting. They're yeah. reenacting people dying and being treated. And, and the treatments were sometimes as bad as the actual disease because they were bloodletting and they were, you know, isolating and and there was no comfort to be had. And yellow fever is a god-awful disease. Mm-hmm. It, it, it does terrible things to the human body. So, uh, so a lot of times when people encounter spirits that are very malformed or they look as though they're just inhuman, it's because when they died, they were suffering from a disease that caused lesions and bleeding from the eyes and all of these terrible things, black you know, uh, bile coming out of their mouths. They looked horrifying. So I find it interesting that we live in a place and a time th- that we would recreate such a emotional, traumatic event yeah. Uh, so that other people can, you know, yeah. enjoy and watch it. <laughs> so that, yeah. so that, enjoy oh, the oh, torture. Is, is, is this what happened? Oh, it's very <laughs> interesting. Um, so uh, I think that the Davenport house is remarkably haunted. Okay. But mm-hmm. it, it's such a trick question. <laughs> it's like, yeah, is no, it the most just, haunted? Yeah. That is an open debate. Yeah. Uh, but it is absolutely a, a place where I believe spirits will be drawn to uh, and it was also, I believe, the first house in the Savannah Preservation mm-hmm. Society's uh, attempts to to keep everything, you know, to go after these historic properties. And Savannah has an amazing ability to r- maintain and retain the integrity of the history. Sure. And that, mm-hmm. to me, also harkens to why spirits are so resonant in Savannah mm-hmm. is because the, the streets are the same. A lot of the buildings are the same. There's, there's an energy flow that is the same as it has been for centuries, and that can uh, allow for spirits, the familiarity, when you change things. And a lot of people will tell you when you start renovating, there's supernatural mm-hmm. activity that happens. Yeah. It's because you are altering an environment that the energy has been flowing through in a very specific pattern for a very long time. And when you alter it, those spirits are losing connection. They're losing the the flow that they, they were know. used to, mm-hmm. what they know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because in, in my estimation, a lot of spirits are really just a residual energy flow that is that is captured and holding patterns of spirits gotcha. versus, you know, uh, a straight up, I was murdered here and now I'm back. Um, it, a lot of ghosts, I think, are just like recordings. And, uh, and when you knock a building down, you're taking away a piece of the recording. 
Um, and so it can rile up an energy. Yeah. Okay. The, um, there actually was an incident of the, uh, when you were doing, they were doing the renovations on the Juliet Gordon Lowe house a few years ago. They were having so many problems with Nellie, who was just not pleased. She was the matriarch of the home, and she did not like when they moved her furniture. They didn't like when they moved any of her antiques or anything like that. They would come back in, and everything is back in the same place. So they were pretty much coming in every day back at square one. So it does make a lot of sense. And then on the Davenport house side, you get a lot of transient spirits inside of that house. For some reason, it just attracts it. I think just because of the nature of the history of the home, it just <coughs> kind of allows people to feel, or spirits, I should say, to feel like they're amongst other spirits that don't necessarily have a place to call home still. Sure. So so this this happening, uh, it, it, it happened like... What two years ago? This was, happened, bu- this was before the Savannah Underground. It was January of 2020. Okay, this, so it was so right before. Okay. Um, yeah, the the world two, shut down. Years <laughs> so. ago, yeah. Um, it was it was absolutely wild. So basically, what happened was uh, Madison was working at the house, and oftentimes she'd be alone in the house. So I FaceTimed her, and I was like, "Hey, uh, give me a ghost tour of the house." You know, I mean, it's like a very like well-known scary house and so she's like okay and like explain to them how why it doesn't have power so because of the historic (laughs) preservation of the home uh basically on the second and third floors there is no electricity at all also the house is just kind of dim in general Uh, they don't have like overhead lights so everything's kind of lit by lamps but as you're going up the steps you have to have a flashlight (laughs) otherwise it is pitch black up there so that was kind yeah. of where this started so she's like okay you know we'll go up to the second floor and I was like cool so I was like you know I was all on FaceTime and like I was getting ready and I was all snuggled up at home with the pup and and all of that and she starts climbing the stairs and to all you naysayers and you know like people who don't believe in ghosts you have to check this photo out I swear right hand to God it is real, not doctored at all. Um, so I see when she gets to the top of the stairs, down this hallway, a little boy come out of the, there's, uh, there's a couple rooms on either side of the hallway, but at the end of the hallway, there's a room to the right. He comes out of there. It looked like he had like some type of like, like a pail of water or something or something of that nature. And he sets it down, and he looks at us. And mind you, this is at 11, 11, 11.30 yeah, p.m. It, at it night. Late. This is between the tours, right? So you're waiting yes. on, the, on the late tour. Yeah. Right. And so uh, we just see this. this, this it looked like a, a boy that in, in the um, uh, period clothing that he is not supposed to be in this house. And it hit me. This is an actual spirit. Like, this is an actual spirit. And the first thing was like, oh, my gosh, you know, the safety of my wife. You know, I, I know that most spirits aren't out to hurt anybody, but I, I was freaking, right? I was like, oh, my God, like, I, I see it there. And she stops, and she's like, it's fine. It's okay. This is what I see all the time. Like, and I'm like, I'm like, honey, honey, oh, my God. And so I, but the first thing I do is I take a screenshot of it because I'm like, wait. This is a ghost. Like, this is an actual ghost. We have to take photo evidence. The, the, I, would, I would regret it the rest of my life if I didn't do this because it's so incredible. And then, boom, I get the snap, I get the, uh, uh, the FaceTime um, uh, screenshot. And she's like, you, this would probably be a good, good time for you to butt in, like, a, what, what he kind of, like, made you feel. So, I... I would like to make it clear that uh, for this tour, I had to wear a costume that was period accurate. So I was wearing a big antebellum style costume, if you will, that was appropriate for the 1800s. And this kid did not like how I looked at all. So I got immediate energy of like, oh, I walked in and something doesn't want me here. And it's probably because I was dressed like the enemy, if you will. 
So we haven't addressed the 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 little boy is African American. Yes. Yeah. And JT's brother, who is also African American, he was actually the one who brought it up, saying, "Well, you know, Madison, you're dressed like someone who probably was really awful to him. That's probably why he doesn't like you." And I'm like, "You know, that actually makes a ton of sense." So, and there are a ton of kid ghosts inside of the Davenport house. But this one in particular was very, very strong in his energy because oftentimes you don't get, like, the full imagery of them. Sometimes you get little glances of them. Sometimes you see them running off in the corner of your eye. But usually they're not emitting enough energy that you're seeing such a clear figure Mm -hmm. that it looks almost like you – almost tangible, if you will. And you'll notice if you look at the photo, he looks – like, he's standing right there, which is probably one of the clearest photos of a ghost I've ever personally caught. Seriously, I, I, I was super proud of that photo and also very excited about it because, I mean, it, again, I mean, to me, just because I was there and I know it's not doctored, uh, it, it proves everything. Yeah. I mean, it proves everything to me. Yeah. I, that I, I 100% believe in, in that. And, you know, that was also, like, you know, before we got married. And, you know, I, I, could, I couldn't have married her without you know, believing in ghosts because she's so ghosty. And I, I trusted her, you know, that, that I knew that she knew what she was talking about. But I guess I've just been in denial, you know, my whole life. And then, you know, you, you just, you, you believe what you see. It's true. Well, and I mean, it's really common for people to not believe in ghosts until they actually see it. Sure. I've seen lots of people and heard lots of people say like, well, you know, I've never seen anything. I've never had anything happen to me. So how, how do I know that they're real? Am I just going to take your word for it? I'm like, yeah, basically, that's about <laughs> as much as you can do. Well, I think that that really addresses an yeah. interesting fact uh, and and one of the, the uh, side effects of a ghostly encounter is obsession. When it first happens to you, and I've seen it many times, people see something and it becomes their fixation and their obsession because it, it rewrites all the things that they had preconceived. And the longer you go without believing before that event, the more obsessive you can become. Because it is what have I thought my whole life, and now yeah. I have evidence or you know experience to the contrary of everything that I've ever known, and and fascinatingly enough, a lot of people get kind of bullish about it and uh, and and dive headlong into it and and become uh, a little insufferable in a lot of ways mm-hmm. because what they're really doing <coughs> is trying to maintain the wonder that they received. It's kind of like heroin. Uh, I, right here, I'm saying ghosts are like heroin. <laughs> You're chasing after that first experience. You're chasing after the elation of learning a new dynamic about the universe. Everything that you thought was real. And I think that that's one of the appeals of ghost stories to begin with is this idea that I'm introducing you to a vast, untapped universe of possibilities that life goes on that there's more to it than what we feel and see, that you could conceivably go on forever. Sure. And that notion defies everything that we've been told and everything we've taught. Even if you're a religious person, the concept of death is the cap of our life, and then we go on to do these other things, you know, heaven or mm-hmm. nirvana or what, whatever it is that your your faith tells you happens, even if it's you shut off. You know, you, yeah. you yeah. enter the abyss and you are no more. Uh, just the notion that all that could be rivaled by wonder and, and you know, of course you're going to become obsessed. Of course you're going to, mm-hmm. you know, want to kick down every door and look yeah. in every shadow and all yeah. of a sudden you're like, I'm a ghost hunter. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm always, I always love to hear the moment someone went from not believing to believing. Uh, and and it's 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 so uh, and and you're one of the luckiest people because not only were you present, not only did you have somebody who knew what was going on, you were able to capture it. Yeah, it was a perfect storm. It really it. was. Yeah. Um, which I think yeah. stop because if you hadn't captured it, mm-hmm. you would have gone hunting. Yeah, you know, if you didn't have it in your hand, if you didn't have that photograph to show sure. people. You would have, you know, bought all the equipment and shown up, you know, with uh, full Ghostbusters gear and just waiting, waiting in the dark. Yeah, because yeah. it's like I saw it once, so I'm going to see it again. Yeah, I, I saw it once, and I, I'm going to capture it. I'm going to catch it, sure. uh, which is fascinating because I think it is also uh, very indicative of how 
how much we depend on evidence to correlate, to, to endorse our experience uh, because we don't trust our senses. You know, uh, and I fully believe that the human body is the greatest bit of ghost hunting equipment you'll ever get. And you have to learn to trust that piece of equipment over all others, mm. over the photographic evidence, over the EMPs, over all these other little um, uh, tools that we use in ghost hunting. The human body can sense more than any equipment. We just don't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> we just internally fight it. Absolutely. I am always reminded of, uh, of Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, when Marley, Jacob Marley, standing in front of him, shaking chains and being like, do you not believe your eyes? And he's like, you could be a bit of gravy. You can, you know, yeah. the senses can be fooled. Uh, yeah. there's, more of, there's more of gravy than of grave to you, yes. is what he tells a ghost who is just rattling up his house because we logic out all the other things. Sure. We are universally designed by society to shun the supernatural, but our curiosity just burns. Yeah. And so we love ghost stories. And mm -hmm. so that's where ghost stories are the most popular of, of trades, is being able to pass along that ghost story. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so who was the boy? So that's a very interesting question that you can get into um, because of the fact that there are so many transient spirits within that house. It's a little tricky to mm -hmm. figure out who that child might have been, Be especially with the history of the house, too, being that it has been so many different things. One of the theories that I might have had is, you know, Maybe he was a child during one of the stints of yellow fever. A lot of times kids did the minuscule tasks like changing bedpans, changing sheets, bringing food and water, things like that, things that adults don't want to do and they can make the kid do. So um, it's quite possible we were kind of just catching him in his daily routine sure. because, as Chris said, a lot of times spirits are just kind of these replays of things or how I like to explain it is that they are like a, like when a snake sheds its skin, essentially. What we're seeing is the skin. The snake is no longer there, but we're seeing the aftermath of whatever it was. So it could have just been a residual haunting that we're seeing, but it's kind of an open-ended question when it comes to the Davenport house. I mean, yeah. we can say it's all sorts of things. Sure. We could have said it was, you know, a kid who stayed there during a boarding house stint or whatever, you know. Well, you I think it's also very interesting that the, the, the concept of residual hauntings, because a lot of times people try to classify things as one or the other. Um, and what might be interesting is if you had a residual haunting, uh, and a residual haunting is basically the environment allows for a spirit to continue uh, a path, and you can see that path. And it's usually like, you know, it's, it was 3 o'clock in the morning, or you know, it was every October 15th, or you know, it was a dark and stormy night. We're, we're trying to create an environment where the spirits can uh, be accessed. Uh, and that, w that is that energy force. But if you have uh, residual haunting going on, that means that there is an energy there. And then you add something like uh, a hated figure, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, possible slave owner, possible, mm -hmm. you know, uh, antagonizer. Then that residual mm -hmm. might pull in some of those other emotional cues. Suddenly there is something else there that can motivate the residual haunting to become an intelligent haunt. And people don't talk about this because they want to separate them. They want to say, mm -hmm. if it's a residual haunt, it has no abilities to interact. If it's a intelligent haunt, it will interact. But who's to say that you're not stacking on the energies until it has a a form of consciousness, a form of interaction where you're giving emotional cues to a residual spirit. The residual spirit is now being layered with these sensations and these feelings. And all of a sudden, it has the ability to detour its actions and become aggressive mm -hmm. or become noted as interactive. Um, we we live in a, a, a world where we're, we're constantly defining how ghosts operate, but 
the bottom line is we don't know. I, I, and you'll always say that. I'll always come back to the idea that we don't really know. Mm-hmm. We have good ideas. We have great theories. We have uh, a lot of observation. But that doesn't change the fact that fundamentally we just don't know. And in that lack of knowledge comes dread and fear. That's where a lot of our worst anxieties when it comes to the supernatural come from is the fact that we don't understand it. And the thing we don't understand, the fear of the unknown, the strongest fear that humans have, the unknown is a lot of times the very source of energy for spiritual activity. When we start to exhibit that level of attention, because fear heightens everything, if you think about it. It makes us hear you know, sharper. It makes us see better. We focus tighter. That is all human energy pouring into something. And the object of the fear becomes elated. You know, it's existing again. It's having a, a say. You know, it's possible that you, through the phone, were like, ah! Yes. And the spirit was like, oh. Yeah, Somebody's oh, yeah. noticing me. Somebody, sure. I am not just a pattern. Yeah, because you look directly I, at us. I exist, yeah. you know, and, and that yeah. moment is oftentimes the moment that a spirit goes from being energy patterns to being a presence. You know, yeah. the, the difference between, oh, you know, something happened here and something's still here. That's a huge, you know, mm-hmm. leap, but an important one to note that it can happen, that it doesn't, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be one leads to the other, and of course, it can be one uh, slowly yeah. fades to the other. Yeah, and as it, you know, as a horror film uh, director, uh, I always think uh, you know some of the scariest things uh, that I can put on to uh, on screen is uh, making something look human, kind of like what you said, but it's not. Yeah, the like, like that's why. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like clowns. Like people hate clowns because it's like. Human, like human, no, <laughs> you know. Yeah. That's that's uh, that's uh, that's always what I you know focus on when I make like scary movies is trying to make things you know somewhat familiar but just not quite there. Kind of like what you were saying. Well, yeah, and that's why clowns and mimes mm. and things have always been so frightening to people is because you can acknowledge like that's a living, breathing person, but they just. There's something off now, and our brains just can't sure. compute that. And I think that goes all the way back to, like, you know, the before we have evolved as people, like, our just primal instincts are like, you look off, you're a threat. Right, so, sure. You're the other. Yeah. You know, there's us and there's the other, and the other usually brings death. The other yes. usually brings harm. Yeah. yeah. And, and of course... The things that we don't understand, you know, it's funny, uh, you talk about horror movies. Uh, horror movies are that extension of ghost stories. Uh, people dismiss ghost stories, and it bothers me. Uh, my whole life is just about collecting ghost stories. You know, I'll talk about ghosts as if I'm some kind of authority, and I'll say things like, you know, all mirrors are haunted. The truth of it is I've learned these things through stories, not through anything through any other medium like I've been present but when I'm present I'm formulating the story Uh a story is a way to challenge our ability to handle things you know it's it's kind of like a roller coaster ride it's going to be safe but it's going to be scary yeah because otherwise if you met something scary and you've never experienced it in any way shape or form you will not be prepared for the sensation of being terrified But you show people, you know, I think that's why horror is such a great medium. It challenges people to have a sensation that you can only have when you're in danger, yeah. when something terrible is about to happen. So you're challenging yourself to kind of feel something that usually only happens right before death or right before something terrible happens. You are exercising your emotions. And and I think horror is, the, is one of the best vehicles for it because... Yeah. Um, and I say this always, when you watch a comedy movie and you laugh, the next time you watch it, you're not going to laugh as hard. If you're thinking about it, you're not going to laugh as hard as you did that first time it hit you. With a horror movie, you can be sitting there in the middle of the night and you mm-hmm. think about it, and you get more scared than you did when you watched the movie. It's it true. lingers. It holds. It's got a, a, an amazing a, a effect on our uh, ability to, to deal with life. Yeah. Um, and again, I always say that the, the perfect 
equation to horror is what is the unknown element of it? What is hidden behind the clown makeup or what yeah. is what yeah. is what is the intention of the other person? Sure. Yeah, and whenever you look at fears, you know, what's what's your fear? Oh, well, I fear pain. It's like is it pain that you fear or is it that unknown aspect of it? Because almost anybody who fears pain when they when they get when they have pain, they're almost always like, Oh well that wasn't as bad mm. as I thought it was gonna be. You know, I have a I have so many phobias. Uh, one of my, my one of my phobias is is needles. I'm always like ah needles, and and it makes me very nervous. And I can't look at it, but it's always over. And I'm like, is it done? And they're like, yeah. I was like, oh, am I afraid of again? I don't know. <laughs> like when I joined the army, they had uh, they had this lineup, and we had to get shots. And I was like, I'm afraid that I'm going to cry in front of all these other soldiers. And we're getting our shots, and they were using uh, guns. That just shoot the the oh, yeah. liquid into your arm. Yeah. Uh, it hurts a lot. Yeah, like, zap, yes. zap, zap, and you're just like, oh. But it wasn't needles, so I was relieved. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, zap, zap, okay, zap. And we come around the corner, and there's a needle. I'm like, oh, brace yourself, brace yourself. They gave me the shot, didn't feel it at all, and and then I was like, oh. But then there was a gun coming up, you know, another one of those. But I felt those. I'm like, oh no, it's gonna hurt. <laughs> yeah. But it's true. And I mean, like, especially with ghosts, too, it's like people oftentimes, that is what they're fearing. They're fearing that unknown thing. Or a lot of times they're fearing that what they've always believed is now untrue. And they're like, well, what else do I believe is untrue? You know? Um, And so I feel like that's why it's such a visceral reaction when people experience a ghost for the first time, even if it's just like a... It's not necessarily as clear like how yours was, Mm -hmm. even if it is just like they see something run to the corner of the room or something, you know. What would what's the what's the freakiest uh, thing that's happened? Was that was that the freakiest thing that's happened to you? Like like ghost ghost wise, like seeing a ghost, seeing that ghost or. Oh, no. Uh, that oh. one was actually quite mild. I went back downstairs and ate my Cheetos and left it alone. So, you know, it's... Um, <laughs> but I actually... I would say the one reaction that I had that really was a uh, frightening experience for me was one of the first times I ever heard a spirit. Um, when I was a child, we talked about this in Mark's episode a little bit, that where I grew up in Florida... We had a Native American family that lived in our home as spirits. So they had this protection that they felt that they needed to put upon me because I was a child. And so they basically, I don't know what made them feel like there was some immediate threat in the middle of the night, but I was asleep, laying on my side, and suddenly I felt two hands on my back. And at first, I thought it was, like, maybe one of my parents, but I, the sensation felt different. It didn't feel like there was a human behind me. And then suddenly, I felt them grab my shoulders and shake me and say, wake up. And I'm like, okay. okay. And I roll over. No one's there. And I'm like, huh. Well, that was... Um, <laughs> like, it, huh. Well, I was about seven years old when that happened, and so it was quite frightening to have a ghost shake you and wake you up out of nowhere when there'd be no immediate threat. And so I feel like that was one of the scariest um, things I ever encountered, mostly because it was that first time. It was visceral because I didn't understand it. I'd only ever seen ghosts at that point. They never talked to me, so... (laughs) You know, um, it's more frightening when things like that happen. I mean, I've seen scarier ghosts, Mm -hmm. but it's been so many times that I've seen ghosts that it's kind of like, well, you're just creepy looking. That's fine, (laughs) you know. Before before I saw um, the little boy, and that was like, you know, life-changing for me, uh, I would always try to, I guess, catch ghosts. Like. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Where, where you're like, you're like, you know, you're getting ready for bed. You're about to lay down. Then you're, you know, lights are off and there's a crack in the door and you're just like. It's like, you there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's I've always, I've always done that as I'm like, I've always tried to catch them like, you know, looking at me like. 
you know, <laughs> mid, like yeah, mid, just, mid honk, <laughs> mid honk. Oh, boo. <laughs> I've always, I've always tried to do that, and then you know, now I don't even, now I don't even, you know, try. I guess I, may, I don't know why. I guess like well, maybe. I think it also. I guess because the ghost heroin is worn off a little bit on you, but you know, hashtag ghost heroin. But uh, I think because you've also had some other experiences afterwards. Remember when we first moved into our house that we're living in now, and Jim, the old man ghost, was just okay. So, a little fact about my husband he is a man of security. He likes things locked up. He does not like doors being unlocked at all. He's kind of paranoid and freaked out about things like that. So, Mm -hmm. every door in the house has to be locked constantly. Well, when we first moved into our house, there was a lot of energy going on. We live in a house that was built in 1840. And so, you can imagine a lot of things have gone on in there. But there's this one particular ghost. He's kind of our house spirit. His name's Jim. He's an elderly man. Um, he's kind of like a bad roommate, if you will. So before he kind of realized our personal needs and whatnot, Jim would make his presence known by leaving doors open, including our back door. So JT would come into the house, and the back door would be wide open. And we, we deadbolt it. We do. We deadbolt our, our doors. And so he would come in. He'd be so angry. He's like, Madison, why did you leave the back door open? Somebody could have came in. And I'm like, what are you talking about? The door was locked. And he's like, well, it's wide open now. And then he decided to test it one day. Mm-hmm. So he purposely remembered when he was home alone, he's like, I'm going to go to the back door and make sure it's locked. I'm going to look at it and make sure it's locked. He sits in the living room. He has the door to that room completely closed, goes in there, doors wide open again. And so he's like, you need to talk to the ghost and tell him you got to stop doing this. Yeah. (laughs) And I did. And so I I told Jim, I was like, hey, Jim, we got to stop doing this. You're going to give my husband a heart attack if you keep (laughs) doing this. And he stopped doing it. So, you know, if you do have a spirit in your house that just likes to play little jokes like that on you or trying to get your attention that way. Jim knows the Savannah crime statistics. And and that's that's the the interesting thing. It's it's attention. Um, It takes energy for a ghost to achieve anything. A ghost will expend energy to open a door, to, to make a sound, to do these things. If you can address the ghost before it uses its energy, it will conserve its energy. It doesn't need to get your attention if you pay attention. So a lot of times, if you know the name especially, you know, just saying, hey, Jim, when you, you, at intervals to allow that interaction to feed and nourish the spirit. Um, the danger there is don't overfeed a spirit. Uh, I, I knew a woman who very much overfed a spirit, and it became such a part of her life that I highly suspect it was the cause of her death. Oh, um, Lord. Although not as, as dreary as you think, because I think it's kind of weirdly romantic, but ultimately it's like don't overfeed your ghosts because what they want and what they desire in, in, in almost every known faction of ghost hunting is to be alive again. The reason they haven't left this plane is because they're attached to it, because they don't have a way to let go of it. And the more solid the attachment can be, the more obsessive they'll be. So, you know, to ghosts, the living are heroin. (laughs) It's a heroin episode. Um, (laughs) the, The ghosts are addicted to life. And that's what they don't let go. You know, a lot of people want it to only be murder victims and they want it only to be these people who died in such, you know, terrible situations that their spirit is here because of the angst and the torture and the torment. But the truth of the matter is a lot of people just don't want to let go of this life, especially because we don't know what's next and we don't know what's beyond. So they're holding on to all the familiar things. So when you knock down the walls, they get upset. When you move their furniture, they get upset because they want the familiarity because they can't let go, and they won't let go. Um, and that becomes this thing, you know, if you can talk to a ghost, if you can say, settle down, I know you're here, don't do the thing, whatever the thing is. Uh, I had an experience with a ghost in um, the Savannah Theater that we learned uh, his name was George, and we started talking to him, and he stopped messing with us. But he used to, like, hide tools. Is that he the director? To- Everybody called him the director, yes. Ah, the director. The director. Yes. Um, but we, we learned that he's not the director. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh, that's a story for another day. We'll get to it. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, what was interesting was interaction changes everything. Sure. Um, and also, I'd like to point out that ghost stories are a way for us to know the unknowable. Uh, when something scares us, the unknown, and we tell a ghost story, we're actually putting a frame around the ghost. We're coming up with an answer for what it was, and it alleviates a lot of our fear. You know, if you just see a dark presence in the corner, and you're like, ah, dark presence, and then somebody says, oh, well, you know, there was an old man who died here, and that's where his chair used to sit, and then you're like, oh, it's the old man sitting in his chair. You feel some relief. Oftentimes, ghost stories even inaccurate ones, give us comfort mm-hmm. because they frame the ghost. And I, I call a ghost story the perfect ghost trap because ghosts will comply. They'll stick to the story. They want to be interacted with, and so a ghost story gives them a place to exist. Sure. And you can give them limits. The story limits the ghost. So what do you think, what do you think Chris... The, you know, I've been wanting to ask you this, and I guess I've been waiting for this podcast uh, to do so, but what do you think the boy's story is? What do so you think I find it interesting that you saw a pail. Mm-hmm. I, I find it interesting that it, it, it was a, a little black boy of period. That gives a lot of context to what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's an interesting thing. A ghost can oftentimes be represented at any age of a person's life. A person can die at 80 years old, but their ghost can be a 17-year-old or a 22-year-old or a 30-year-old. It doesn't have to be the 80-year-old man who died. It could be any number of the things. As a matter of fact, you don't necessarily have to be dead to haunt a place. If you have extreme emotional content or if if your life was of such a, a patterned existence, the residual energy of the life you led in a place can still remain, and people might be haunted by a living person. They might be encountering a little boy of an adult who lives somewhere else. So it, it comes to a lot of the things. What can we observe? What do we know? And, um, and knowing that the yellow fever epidemic greatly affected the house of the Davenport house, I oftentimes would have said, it seems to me, a highly resistant concept of caring for yellow fever, highly, uh, um, you know, communicable disease. I think the boy may have been in charge of either cleaning up after or, or attending to people who were dying and contracted the disease himself, which would of course give way to a more aggressive spirit. You know, uh, a, a spirit that was like, I was murdered by, you know, this, this, um, task that I was put upon um, but I also think a lot about and, and even when so I've known this story a long time I was around for when it happened and I, I, call, was, I called I called him right out yeah. I was one of the first people called and contacted and almost immediately I thought of uh, bedpans mm-hmm. and, and how lowly a task and how uh, demeaning a task it is to clean up after someone's you know waste um because these buildings did not have toilets. They had little cabinetry with pans in them. Yep. And to think of yep. carrying a, a bucket of someone else's waste, uh, just such a demeaning task sure. and just such a low point of existence to be the person who was set upon to do it under such duress, under such conditions, that even if he lived to be 80 years old, the resentment of that act alone becomes its own entity. Um, So I I do feel very strongly that you're dealing with somebody or or something that is replicating a a task of resentment. Okay. You know, uh, and especially because the turn was aggressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, You know, because you you were breaking him from a pattern and what he had was aggression towards this white woman in a big dress. Exactly. And and that... And that just seemed to enforce the idea that maybe we're dealing with that dynamic. Mm-hmm. Sure. And it, do, you think he's, do you think he's still there? I mean, it's very possible he's still there because, like I said, a lot of transient spirits. So you see a lot of them coming and going. Sure. Um, but I never saw him again in the house after that point. But that could just be he didn't want to see me again. Um, because typically, he was very different than all the other kid ghosts in the house. All the other kids... Yeah, you told me that the kids would sing to you. 
that wasn't uh, that was actually Richard Cheely, who was one oh, of my coworkers. Okay. He would sing to them, and he, they hated it. Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> they they would tell him to stop. And yeah. so, no, what they would do to me is they like to mess with me because when I was setting up the house for the tours, I had to go around the house in the dark trying to plug in all these lamps and finding outlets inside the house behind big pieces of furniture. So while I'm struggling to plug in all these lamps, they would go behind me and unplug them, and then they pull on my dress and, like, play, play around with me, and then you'd hear them giggle and run off, and that was pretty much it. So most of the kids in the house were very, very just, like, they were kids. They they just wanted to play around. Yeah, the, and the kid that I know of the house was a little girl who uh, frequented the gift shop stairwell. Yes. There's a staircase yes. that goes right into the gift shop. And I had a friend who used to work in the gift shop 20-plus years ago. And she would say when closing up, she would always see the girl standing on, like, the second to the last step, kind of peering in Ooh. at the at the close down. And, and she would always see out of the corner of her eye, and then when she turned her head, it would just vanish, uh, which is another ghost tip, pro-ghost tip. Ghosts generally don't show up right in front of your eyes. They'll show up over here because in front of your eyes, your brain has an ability to say, I recognize that as something that doesn't belong. I'm just going to delete it. I'm going to get rid of it. But over here, your, your brain is trying to identify things, you know, because it's, it could be danger. And so your brain is literally saying, oh, there's something there. But when you look at it, it's like, oh, nope, nope, that's not something. Nope, nope, I refuse. <laughs> yeah. I, I do not accept it. So know that there is like a, a, a cone of paranormal blindness that is directly in front of us. Gotcha. Because our brain is constantly interpreting the world around us. Our ability to see and perceive the unknowable comes from our ability to override the blind spot. Mm. And that comes with practice. That comes with, you know, and some people have it innately and naturally, but some people work at it. Some people, uh, you know, you see something over here, you don't turn your head. You let it live there long enough for you to turn this much. And if it's still there, you're gaining access to a part of your brain that says, okay, I accept that the thing over here is real and exists. So you turn your head a little more. So if ever you think there's something in the dark or there's something there, turn your head away from it. Oh. Because our instinct is to look harder right mm-hmm. at it. Don't do that. L- turn away from it, which seems so counter and, you know, <laughs> you don't want to do that. But I think that helps with perception because our brain is trying to define threat. So, so why do you think, why do y'all think then that the first time I see a ghost, it happened through a cell phone sensor? I'll tell you this. Um, something I always would tell my ghost guests, you know, that I take on tours and whatnot. Yeah. Um, it's a, a lot of times they would ask, like, why do I never catch ghosts on my photos and whatnot? And, like, a lot of times it has to do with who's holding the camera. Absolutely. And... It's because I was holding the phone, and you're just watching the other end of it. Yeah. It knew that I can see it. Okay, wait. So though. a lot of times we were yeah. we're talking about we were talking about doing a um, ghost hunt in the Davenport house and like some other houses and whatnot. Uh, like you know, possibly uh, like live streaming it on TikTok, and then also you know me filming it. But that makes me think, you know, if I'm if I'm camera A, and I, I'm not sensitive at all. Like, is it just going to be footage of a dark house? No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is, that is absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, you, can, you can take the, a camera and give it to three different people, and only one of them will catch anything because there's a lot about intent. And a lot of people say that before you take oh. a picture, you should try to communicate. Please show yourself. Please, you know, because the camera doesn't have the mental filter that we do. And that's why things show up on camera more oh. than just in your, your visual um, ability but it absolutely is, will the ghost show itself to somebody who can't give it what it needs? Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. If, if they cannot connect with you and they expend their energy, they have no energy left. They are, they are expended, and you didn't give them the acknowledgement that they needed to continue existence. Gotcha. So, you know, uh, it is... And I always preface this. These are my thoughts. You know, these are, <laughs> these are things that I arrived at so that they, they come from a, a, a type of observation that's like, oh, you know what, I think this is what's going on. I think that ghosts need to feed. And what they feed upon, electricity, that's a big one. 
you, you hear it all the time. Oh, the battery, I charged this, this, you know, this was fully charged mm-hmm. and now it's, you know, dead. That constant of, well, electrical power, stage lights in theaters, um, mm-hmm. a lot of ghostly activity are sometimes connected to whether or not you have one of those power converters on the electric pole. They're like, the closer you are to one of those, the more likely you are to have ghosts because electricity seems to be a reasonable food source. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But more than electricity, I think human interaction just skyrockets oh, them. Yeah. It's a smorgasbord of energy for them. So why do, the, why do, if that's the case, then why do all these ghost hunter shows, like, why don't they, why do they have to stage everything? Why do they, you know, when they go in these super haunted places, they don't capture anything. Because that would be national news if they captured something. Because they're obnoxious about it. <laughs> Seriously. Oh. Well, so, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Uh, they're not being. You don't want to tromp through a ghost place because yeah. you're going to scare them. But I also believe very strongly that many of the ghost hunters who have shows, um, have their own ghost. Basically, they are they are haunted people. Mm-hmm. Ghosts are far more likely to haunt people than houses. And when a ghost attaches itself to a person and they go into a building, that ghost is using the energy that everyone else has has seen other ghosts. So that ghost becomes more prominent and more powerful. So sure. a lot of the times when you watch these shows, you'll note that their ghostly experiences are very similar. It's calling your name. Mm-hmm. Oh, you got a scratch. Oh, you've been pushed. Well, it turns out that if the pattern of the, the ghost is the same behavior everywhere you go, it makes more sense that it's the same ghost. Sure. Not, I'm encountering ghosts that all behave the same way. Um, and, and oftentimes, it is my belief that ghosts don't like other ghosts. It's not like they hang out. And it probably is as weird to a ghost to have another ghost. Yeah. Like, you know, if a ghost is sitting in their house and a ghost walks in, they're like, ah, ghost. Yeah. You know, they'll hide. They'll, yeah. <laughs> they'll be like, yeah. I don't want anything to do with a ghost. That's scary. Sure. Um, because I believe very firmly that it is as rare for a ghost to see a human as it is for a human to see a ghost. And then there are these wonderful caveats where there are people who, who walk the, the line and the ghosts see them, and it's very invigorating and very, you know, amazing. Exciting. It's exciting, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it was like, yeah. it was like, you know, seeing into, I don't know, not seeing into heaven necessarily, but it was like seeing. Well, you're, it was you're like, just peeling back the veil. Yeah. Right? It's like, it was wild. Yeah. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. the world doubles in size mm-hmm. yeah. because there was an unseen world. Okay. Right, right there. So I remember, I remember you, Madison, when we were talking about it, um, uh, and you were like back downstairs. We were on FaceTime, and you know I was like standing on the bed in my boxers, freaking out still. Um, uh, I remember you telling me I was like I was like should we go back up and like try to get like like communicate, try to talk, you know, like try to uh, you know film him more, you know, because as a filmmaker I'm like get all of it. Um, but uh, and you were like. No. And I was like, oh, why not? Like, he's he's up there. I'm sure we can find him again. You know, and you you told me that he sent you bad vibes. Yeah. And do you think that he was capable of actually... I remember we were talking, like, you know, like, the vibes were so bad that you, you were saying that he could potentially push you down the stairs. Yeah, I mean, like... To a certain degree, he felt very strong. Like, it was a very strong amount of energy. Like, because I am sensitive to the emotions, I guess, of the spirits and whatnot. So, I was just like, I got the vibe that if I don't leave him alone, he's going to make me leave him alone. And That's that, fair. Yeah, and that happens sometimes. If, you know, if a spirit really doesn't want you there, they're going to make sure you know that. So Does that make him malevolent? Not necessarily. He just didn't like me, and that's fine, you know. And and because he identified you with um, the enemy, like the 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 person that basically tortured him. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like, you see, oftentimes if they view you as an enemy, they're obviously it, it's the same way with humans. If you see somebody you don't want in your house, you kind of give them the energy, like, "Hey, I don't want you in my house," but you know. That doesn't mean that somebody else who doesn't look like me and isn't wearing a period outfit, he's going to give them the same energy. More than likely, he's just going to ignore them and just, like, keep going about his business. Yeah, and it's an interesting idea uh, because oftentimes when I talk, I will use the word demon a lot, not 
because of any religious implication, just because it's an easy term. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a term that we can all say, oh, that's bad. It's like, yes, it's bad. When, when you have a de- demonic presence, you're dealing with something that is, is capable of damage. And a lot of demonic presences aren't even human. They were never human. They're just an energy that exists, you know, on a spiritual plane. And I always liken them to like fire. You know, it's a fire that burns on the spiritual plane. It seems alive. It may not be. It could be. I don't know. You know, it seems conscious. But really, fire does. Like, if you, if you encountered fire and you didn't know what it was, it moves around. You could feed it, and it'll grow. It has all the qualities of being alive. But it's not. But if it gets on you, it'll hurt you. you know? Sure, <laughs> if, yeah. And, but okay. if you treat it with respect, you can warm your food. You can use it. So, you know, I think that a lot of demons... Uh, throughout history do kind of fall into that category because we created rituals and we created, you know, all these things that could utilize this force. Uh, However, I do believe that human spirits can become demonic when they forego all other attributes of humanity for a singular pursuit. Even if the pursuit is good, once they've narrowed it down, that means they've given up empathy and care and courtesy and generosity. They've given up all of the things that would allow a human to judge its behavior against the damage it does. Sure. When a spirit becomes singularly fixated on the thing in this world that it wants, it covets, and it only desires, it can become what we would identify as demonic. But the problem is it still has mechanisms of comprehension. It can do things. It can enact things. And that becomes dangerous to humans. So when you say, like, is it a malevolent spirit? No, I think it's, it's a spirit that has a high emotional content mm-hmm. versus a spirit that only wants one thing. Like, even if you die and what you really want is to see your child again. Sure. And that's all you want. And you start to narrow it down to that's all I am is this desire for my child then anybody who gets in your way is somebody standing in your way of seeing your child. Yeah. And you will harm them, and you will push them, and you will try anything, you know, give me my child. Uh, which is one of the Alice Riley encounters that yeah. uh, I find so interesting was uh, there was a trolley driver who, uh, who would go through Wright Square when he was a child, and he was actually grabbed and shaken. And, he, and this woman was like, do you know where my child is? Where is my child? And when he ran home, uh, he was so shaken. And when he told his, his mother about his mother, was like, you just encountered Alice Riley. And I was like, that, that's some stick-to-itiveness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alice, Alice Riley died in the early 1700s, and she's yeah. still marauding around looking for her oh, child. Yeah. So some might even categorize that as demonic because it is singular in purpose. It doesn't care if it harms you. Yeah. Um, but it does seem to be driven by love. It does seem to be driven yeah. by compassion. This is the most haunted city on earth. Like it really is. Like like it's like everyone who lives here is like I saw a ghost. Even me, yeah. I'm like, what? Well, I think it's because we're so open to it. You know, like the people who come to Savannah, I wasn't open to it though. But I to a wasn't. certain degree, you were. You might not be cognitively aware. Yeah, that I mean, you I was were. the one that asked for the ghost hunt. So. Yeah, exactly. Like you were, yeah. and just by the way that you were talking about how like you were constantly, you know keeping a door cracked and you're like, oh, are you there? You know, that's, that's a, yeah. a form of, openness. yeah, a form okay. of wanting to see something. So even if you don't necessarily actively look for ghosts, like Chris and I sort of do, you know, you are still in an area where. And know, yeah, you are, you are in the minority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If the majority believes something, that belief can overwhelm the singular belief. If you're, you know, in the minority saying ghosts don't exist, but the majority are like, ghosts are everywhere. Sure. The, the fact of the matter is there's an energy put out that says ghosts are here. So a person's resistance to it is not necessarily a, um, a moratorium on seeing ghosts. It doesn't mean you're not going to see ghosts. Uh, although I know plenty of people who really desperately want to see ghosts but can't, and I think that the thing that keeps them from seeing it is a reservation, is something in their in their fundamental belief that either truly they don't want to see a ghost yeah. because they're scared or they just don't believe. They don't have, they say they're open, but they're, they're, they're decided on what's real. And a ghost doesn't want to waste their energy presenting themselves to somebody who will not reciprocate. Understood. So 
the moral of today's story, I guess, is uh, don't do ghost heroin. Um, don't, don't overfeed your ghosts. And, and gators. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, you should treat ghosts like gators. Yes. If you see one, it's like, whoa, but don't don't touch it. Don't (laughs) Don't touch it. Don't feed it. Um, Also, if you want to hear more ghost stories throughout the week, you can find us on that same TikTok. We are uploading every single day for the most part with lots of fun stories and snippets of things that Chris and I come up with. So with that being said... I hope y'all have a wonderful rest of your week. We will see you again next Sunday. I am Madison Timmons. I'm Chris Susie. And stay spooky, y'all.